from KCRW, this is Nocturne. In northern areas of Scandinavia, some local people have a name for the period in winter when the sun doesn't rise above the horizon. They call it the blue time. From late November to late January, places like Tromsø, Norway, experience what's called a polar night, in which the hours that are not completely dark resemble a soft twilight. Carrie Leibowitz got a Fulbright scholarship to study how people in Tromsø cope with this two-month period of winter, when the sun is nothing but a memory. People were talking about how excited they were for the winter, how excited they were for the snow. They kept talking about how cozy things were. This concept of kuselig was coming up a lot, which some people may be more familiar with um, the Danish word uh, huga. And it's translated as coziness, but it's sort of more than that. It's, it's a very important cultural concept in Norway, and anything can be can be cozy. So not just like a restaurant or a house, but a conversation or a business meeting or a conference. All of those things can be kuselig. So it's coziness, but it's also sort of this feeling of, of peaceful contentment, sort of that feeling of, you know, that you have when it's dark and cold outside and you're wrapped up inside in front of a fire and your loved ones are around you and you just feel like there's nowhere you need to go or nowhere you need to be as a, an American outsider is the best I can come up with for, for what Kusalig really means. And I think it's, you know, especially important as you get farther north, just like, you know, in the U.S., concepts of wintertime coziness, especially around the holidays, might be true everywhere, but might be more true or more important in Minnesota and Montana and Maine. Scandinavia has some secrets for how to do winter right, and the rest of the world is, is taking an interest. More after this. I'm Warren Alney. On To The Point, if America ever used its thousands of nuclear weapons, it would be suicidal. In a nuclear war, there could be no winners. Everybody is a loser. All of civilization is at stake. We've known that for 75 years, but our weapons of mass destruction are still on hair-trigger alert, and just one man, President Trump, has the power to push the button. Is it finally time to make the world safer? On our To The Point podcast. There are two main definitions of the blue time. The first is the time just before sunrise, when everything in the world has a blue tinge to it. The farther north you go, the longer the blue time in winter. The second definition of the blue time is that time when you're depressed, time moves slowly, you feel like you're in a daze, and like you're just broken. For many people who live in northern locations, their experience of winter leans heavily toward that second definition. The combination of dark and cold can sink them into a despair that descends like clockwork every winter. Ten whole winters in Finland and now looking down the barrel of the 11th with not that much joy. Finland is like Mordor in winter. 
the time when it's light, it's quite short time. So basically you have to get used to some sort of darkness. I've grown up being immensely anxious about darkness. Even as I start noticing it in like mid-August, that hey, the nights are getting darker. I, I, I sort of, it, it's, it was a thing I used to think about a lot. Daylight is shrouded in gray. It's also kind of tough when it's 5 p.m. and you're like, oh, I need to get home, it's so late. Oh, yep, it's not late at all. It's like uh, 7 o'clock in the morning in Montreal. It's still very dark here. And I cannot really handle the darkness of winter. I think also because it's so cold. The whole thing just is very crushing. Today, uh, winter solstice, sunrise was at 9.24 and sunset was at 3.13. I can't just wake up if there is no sun. My first winter in Finland was gruesome and I was clinically depressed. Well, I, I was buying my first sun lamp something like five or six years ago due to the extreme darkness. <laughs> it turns out there's a better living through chemistry is a thing. I, I've been on an antidepressant for a little over a year and I, I've barely noticed the actual seasonal affective symptoms. Every winter I keep thinking that this time it might be better. This time maybe I got used to it. Nah. And I'm kind of thinking at this point that nobody really belongs in these conditions. There isn't anything I like about it. It's a black and white world for months and months. And a lot of it is really is really dark. I look for ways to go to bed very early. I, I find that I eat crackers in bed in the winter in the dark, uh, which is not something I feel proud of, but it something that I do and I um, sometimes I go to a tanning booth in these dark months because that, that seems to help. I really don't have anything positive to say. There's nothing to recommend it. But I do have a, a pantry full of crackers. But I also find winter very beautiful, very peaceful. Things slow down. Everybody kind of gets a lot more introspective. A lot of turning in, a lot of Staying close. It's nice. Because you have this long, dark, cold time of the year lasting for months and months. It actually encourages this like deeper thinking. I love it sometimes when it gets dark in the wintertime. It feels like permission finally to retreat inside and snuggle up with a blanket and the dog and, you know, family and enjoy the inside life in the winter and be snuggly and warm. And usually we just like to be in the nature. Then you can make fire and you can cook on the fire and everything. And I think that my friendship with the darkness in the nature has boosted my friendship with the darkness in the city. In Northern California, where I live now, on the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice, the sun sets at 4.23 p.m. 
That was hardest when my son was a baby, and I would feel almost panicked at the thought of being isolated alone at home in the encroaching darkness. I would head out to a local bookstore where we could be among people and bright light and extend the day just a bit more. This past December, when I noticed that it was getting dark earlier, my first reaction was not to be happy about it. It felt like something was being taken away. But then I started cooking more and lighting candles at dinner, and we put up little holiday lights in the room where we eat, and all those things helped me welcome the darkness and see it for what it gives rather than what it takes. This year, I've been having a harder time waking up in the morning, feeling disoriented because the alarm has gone off, but the room is still dark, and so is the sky outside. But I know that I'm lucky because it's never truly cold here. And also, the days aren't that short. I can usually manage to get some sunlight. While lots of people choose to live in places with cold, dark winters, it can still be a trial. Even the hardiest can find themselves wilting without sufficient sun. I think the ones who thrive the most probably find a lucky balance of favorable brain chemistry and an appreciation of natural beauty. At least that's my guess. My name is Brie O'Keefe, and I currently live in Yellowknife Bay of Great Slave Lake, which is in the Northwest Territories of Canada, kind of near Alaska. 62 degrees north, yeah. I live on a houseboat, and uh, I'm one of about 40 houseboats. These are kind of floating houses that freeze into the ice in the winter. So right now my car is parked right in front of my house uh, on about almost two feet of ice. Uh, and there's a skating rink right in front. I have a composting toilet. I have solar panels and a generator for electricity. I pump water from the lake into a holding tank and my heating is from a mixture of wood and propane. The amount of time I can leave my home unattended in the winter is, is pretty limited just because I like to make sure there's always a fire going so it doesn't freeze. It's a lot of work. Yellowknifers take our ability to manage the cold and the darkness as a kind of symbol of the fact that we are hardier and stronger than people who know that they can't handle such a harsh climate. The darkest period is right before winter solstice. The shortest day of the year is December 21st, when we have around five hours of daylight. The sun rises around 10 a.m. and sets around 3 p.m. But given that the dawn and dusk uh, periods when you're this far north are much more elongated, we probably have three hours of full daylight on that day and an hour on each end of sunrise and sunset. Dawn and dusk are both long, slow, uh, and extraordinarily beautiful. We have cotton candy pink skies that instead of lasting 15 or 20 minutes on a fleeting day when you're near the equator can last up to an hour. The light quality is really magical and beautiful, but it also is something that doesn't happen at the beginning or end of your day in the winter, but you know, right before lunch hour or before you leave your job. So if you work a normal nine to five, your opportunities for witnessing it are a bit more limited. When it's this time of year, at least for me, my whole life revolves around making sure I enjoy the light while it's there. But what happens if you don't make sure you get outside every day when there's light? You, you know, I personally really feel the effects of seasonal affective disorder. I'll get cranky. I'll get sad. You feel cooped up. 
I have a lot of chores to do outside, whether I want to go outside or not. And that's almost a blessing because what I've learned is that if you don't go outside, there's just something in you that uh, an itch that doesn't get scratched and you begin to really feel the effects. And cabin fever is a real thing that most people here are very aware of and, and you have to fight it any way you can. Fighting cabin fever so far north involves getting outside even when it's dark. Engaging with the darkness is unavoidable and actually really desirable. You're forced to engage with it, but that makes you appreciate its beauty. There's that luminescent quality to the snow, so you're walking around and the snow appears to be glowing. But on clear nights, not only is it really easy to see the stars because there's such little light pollution in the sky is so beautiful, but there's also northern lights in the aurora borealis, which even though I grew up here, they still take my breath away every time I see them. So part of Brie being able to thrive during the dark winters is soaking up what little light she can, and part of it is appreciating the beauty in the dark. There's another thing that she's learned that seems to have had a big effect on her ability to cope with the extreme winters, and it has to do with how she interacts with the darkness. When I was a teenager growing up, I would walk home from school and uh, turn on every single light in the house when I got home to kind of create this artificial sense that it was still the daytime and that it was it was bright in the house even if it was pitch black outside Um, and it was only when I went and lived in Europe and spent some time in Scandinavia that they don't try to fight the the darkness with with these glaring fluorescent lights they instead embrace it and I kind of picked up that concept of Hega of coziness and so when it's dark even if it's three or four in the afternoon you would light candles and and give yourself more atmospheric lighting instead of trying to fight it just with every single bright light in the house on to make it feel like it was still daytime. This concept of coziness, huga in Danish and kuselig in Norwegian, Carrie Leibowitz recently did research related to this that turned up some interesting findings. Carrie is a PhD candidate in social psychology at Stanford University. The mind-body lab where she works studies the effects of something called mindset. The entire lab uh, researches how our mindsets, our thoughts, beliefs, and expectations influence our health and well-being. Mindset can be thought of as a lens through which we perceive and make sense of the world. Carrie sees it as an overarching framework for our everyday experiences. And mindset can profoundly influence how we react in a variety of situations, greatly affecting both physical and mental health. For example, your mindset about stress, whether you see stress as a help or a hindrance, can affect how you fare in stressful situations. While there's been a lot of research on the relationship between mindset and achievement, Carrie found herself curious about how mindset might play into how people cope with winter. So Scandinavia has this reputation for being among the happiest countries in the world. And I had studied psychological flourishing as an undergrad. And I was really interested in this concept of what makes people flourish and how can we encourage that. And so I found this professor in Norway, Jor Vitterso, who is sort of a happiness and well-being expert. Dr. Vitterso was located at the University of Tromsø, which is the northernmost university in the world. Tromsø is a small Arctic island, so it's 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle. 
It's so far north that in the winter, the sun sets for a full two months, so they have what's called the polar night there. Carrie assumed that two months of darkness, in combination with the cold, would create a pretty large group of depressed people. She thought that maybe their research could look at helping people in Tromso cope with the long, dark winters. But Dr. Vitterso wrote back with some surprising information. He said that despite Tromso having months of darkness in the winter, existing research didn't find as much seasonal depression and wintertime mental distress as you might expect. Carrie was intrigued. So that was the foundation of my application for a U.S.-Norway Fulbright research grant, was basically to study, you know, how are these people in Tromsø able to flourish during the long, dark, cold polar night? So the polar night starts on November 21st and ends on January 21st. And there definitely were those people in Tromsø who said, I hate the polar night, I get depressed, I'm so tired. There were people there that didn't like it, for sure. But those responses were much fewer than I would have guessed. So I would say, you know, in the average conversation that I had, there were fewer people in Tromsø complaining about hating the polar night than I had experienced in an average conversation about the winter growing up in New Jersey, where everyone was complaining about the winter. And as I talked to people, a lot of my friends there were explaining to me that actually the polar night is wonderful. And I had one friend, Fern, who specifically refused to call it the dark time, which is one of the translations for it. So the Norwegian word is morketide, which literally stands for dark time. But Fern always called it the blue time to emphasize that it's not dark. It's not devoid of light and color. There's actually a lot of light and color because during the polar night, even though the sun doesn't rise, you get between two and five hours of civil twilight each day. And that's where the sun sort of skirts below the horizon, but you get these beautiful colors like you've gotten just after the sun sets or just before the sun rises. So it's an incredibly colorful time. And then, you know, it does get fully dark some of the time, but other times the light is really blue. And so you can get these incredibly vivid sunset colors that last for two hours during the polar night. And so my friends were explaining to me that that time of year is so beautiful, and people were talking about how excited they were for the winter, how cozy things were. This concept of kusalig was coming up a lot, this feeling of peaceful contentment. To Carrie, this idea of Kusalig seemed connected to the positive mindset that many people in Tromso had about the winter. She set out to determine if the people of Tromso actually were really happier. And if so... Why aren't people in Tromso more depressed, even though it's so dark? So let me figure out their secret to well-being, to wintertime happiness. And if I could figure that out, then I can sort of bottle it and bring it other places where they might not be so happy during the winter. But I also wanted to capture this appreciation for winter, right? That it wasn't just, oh, I'm not depressed, but that I actually really like the winter. And, you know, one of our only psychological frameworks for talking about the winter is seasonal affective disorder, is wintertime depression. And we don't really have anything in the psychological literature that talks about wintertime flourishing. What does flourishing look like and how does that change between the seasons, especially in a place where the seasons might be rather extreme? Of course, seasonal affective disorder is a real thing and can be pretty disabling. 
And Carrie is quick to point out that she's not suggesting that you can cure wintertime depression by simply adopting the right mindset. But Carrie and Dr. Vitterso reasoned that learning about the people who flourish in an extreme winter environment could move the field forward in helping everyone deal better with winter. So we came up with a wintertime mindset scale to sort of assess people's beliefs about the winter. The scale had all sorts of questions about how positively people feel about the winter and the types of things they enjoy doing in winter. And then they also found a bunch of other tests that looked at things like life satisfaction and personal growth. Then they gave these tests to people who lived in different locations in Norway. It turned out that Tromso and Oslo were a really good comparison. They're both on the Gulf Stream, so a bit warmer. But Oslo is so much further south that it doesn't have the polar night, just very short winter days. From a comparison standpoint, it's particularly appropriate to compare Tromso and Oslo if what you want to do is look at the effect of the darkness specifically. And what we found was that this wintertime mindset was positively associated with every measure of well-being that we looked at. And here's something I found surprising. The wintertime mindset got more positive as you went north in Norway. So the farther north you were, actually the more people liked the winter. So the darker it was, the more extreme the winter was, the more people had this positive wintertime mindset. This mindset shows up in lots of ways in Tromso. People cross-country ski to get to work, restaurants have candles inside and outdoor seating in the middle of winter, and people just talk about winter differently than in other places, which makes a difference. When making small talk is complaining about the weather, it's really hard to be positive about the winter when that's how you greet a friend is you complain about the cold or you complain about the snow or you talk about how sick you are of the winter. But when everyone around you is countering your complaints with, oh, I love the cold, like I feel so refreshed after a walk or, oh, wasn't the sky beautiful today though? It's much harder to sort of be grumpy about the winter. And it's so much easier to have a positive wintertime mindset when the people around you do. Carrie's research doesn't identify why people who live farther north in Norway like the winter more. But the mere awareness that they do holds out hope for people in less extreme environments, that harsh winters don't necessarily equal misery. So the question is, how do you cultivate a positive wintertime mindset? There are some factors unique to Tromso that you can't find everywhere. Heaps of natural beauty, lots of snow without being too cold. These things might make it easier to have a positive mindset. But there are a lot of individual mindset factors that I think you could have no matter where you live that are not unique to Tromso. So this idea that we should do things differently in the winter. Find things that you like to do that are special that you can only do in the winter. So I live in Northern California. It doesn't get cold here, but now I'm lighting a fire in the fireplace when it drops to 40 degrees. I'm lighting candles when it gets dark at 5 p.m. You know, I'm finding ways to make it cozy even though I don't live in a place that gets cold. Find something that you love to do in the winter and really lean into that and savor it. So whether that's more time in cozy settings with friends, whether that's long contemplative walks in the snow, find something that you like and really try to do that and really try to notice that that's special and look forward to that every year. Aside from finding special wintertime things to do, Carrie says it's important to keep doing the basics too, 
you should try to get outside as much as possible. Norwegians are very practical about the winter. There's a Norwegian saying that there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. I think this idea that you can bundle up and go outside no matter the weather is really important and that that helps people in Norway to stay active all year round, which I think is huge in sort of beating the seasonal blues is not feeling cooped up, not having that sort of cabin fever and feeling like you're still able to get out and get some exercise, go on a walk. So usually we feel like we're stuck inside because it's too cold or too dark or too snowy or too wet. And that I think can make us feel limited and it's easy to focus on that. But when we force ourselves to get outside, we can see that actually it is possible. And then the winter doesn't feel so constricting anymore. Making the environment cozy, finding things that you can appreciate and even like about winter and getting outside are all pretty doable. And while simply changing your mindset won't cure seasonal affective disorder, mindset is a component of depression in general. So giving it some attention might help. And in the final analysis, if you don't have wintertime depression and you're on the spectrum of the seasonal grumpies, you know, adopting a positive wintertime mindset can help push you towards flourishing more in the wintertime. The folks in Tromso are clearly onto something. And there's a lot to recommend curling up with a blanket, the dog, a cup of tea, and a good book, and then taking a brisk walk in the waning light. If winter is challenging, it can be easy to forget those small pleasures. And one season can feel like an eternity. So happy winter, now or in the future. I hope that it's filled with a bounty of kuselig. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. The show is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Our senior editor is Nick White. Nocturne is distributed by KCRW and also receives support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project. Thanks to everyone who shared their impressions about winter. You can find out who they are in the show notes for this episode. Thanks to Thomas Nubere for interviewing and recording folks in Finland. He produces a podcast called Very Finnish Problems. For more information about the show, go to nocturnpodcast.org and find us on social media at Nocturne Podcast. I want to point you to another show I love from KCRW, where Nocturne recently found its new home. It's called Unfictional. It's a storytelling podcast that features unbelievably true stories. Their latest season is all about perception, what it's like to experience the world as someone else. Here's a taste of Unfictional. Imagine you could experience the world the way someone else does. Not just see through their eyes, but feel what they feel. It's supposed to be six chests up there. I'll get that shit, come back, and enjoy the rest of my life. Love what they love. Hate who they hate. She's the, you know, she's the witch. But the witch come true. But your perception of reality is filtered through years of experiences, heartbreak, and trauma. And there are barriers in our heads between your reality and my reality. And you go into a laboratory and they throw a switch in your head and suddenly you realize, holy shit, it wasn't bullshit, it's real. This season on the Unfictional Podcast, stories that melt those barriers. But I fundamentally disagree with your core beliefs. Like the experimental treatment that works almost too well. Like living in a hallucination as I drove the car. Or a man who sells get-rich-quick schemes at a call center 
until it unleashes a previously unknown part of himself. It made me mean, but I was good at it. In 1-800-KISS-MY-ASS. Was that the first time you'd ever talked to a skinhead? Very first time without violence breaking out. <laughs> Let's just put it like that. The reporter who went to cover a juggalo march, but instead uh, just say, became a juggalo. Yeah, this is the part where we smoked a joint at our interview, but I'm sure you can edit that shit. We're not in California anymore, though. <laughs> Plus a lot more. It's a brand new season of the unfictional podcast. And I speak it in English because I know we're going to reach the hearts of the Americans. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 